no things in the world. There are no th- no there are no such thing as things, but that doesn't mean there's nothing. Humans live in a very particular time scale. If we're lucky, our lives span 80 years or so. Our hearts beat roughly every second. What happens on a slower scale is almost invisible to us. If instead we lived for a billion years, our hearts beating once every six months, trees would be like blurs, like lightning flashes, oceans of fog, cities, swirls of dust that accumulate and are gone. Things become processes, nouns become verbs, words are like vessels that attempt to trap the volatile processes of time, and as they do, they make us believe that things exist. But there are no such things as things. Words are not things. Words are not things. things. No, words are not things. Words don't exist. Words, words are not things. Fossilize words are not things. Your words are not things. A word like mountain, for example, suggests something fixed, permanent, infinite. Give the mountain a name, and it rises out of time like a god. Give the mountain a name, and then it arises out of time like a god. In the movie Arrival, aliens come with a gift to mankind. The gift is their language. By learning their language, humans are able to see across time. The movie references the Sapir-Whorf hypothesis. This suggests that language determines thought. It's a very contentious idea. The philosopher Richard Rorty explored what he called final vocabularies. The system of language we all have beyond which each of us don't want to go. Politicians love these final vocabularies. Freedom, liberty, choice, security. To shake things up, we need to shake up language. When things shake, all certainties crumble. Shake up language. Shake up thought. 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 And so, to the language of E prime, that's capital E dash prime. Heard of it? Try it out, just for a few minutes. The language of E prime attempts to dispense with the verb to be. Nothing is. I'll say that again. Nothing is. In E prime, a sentence like the world is round becomes the world looks round. Matters of fact become replaced by observation, by subjective interpretation. A sentence like I am a writer becomes I enjoy writing or sometimes I get paid for writing or even I don't care what you think. Shut your face. Another example, William Blake is a great poet. In E prime becomes I love and admire the poetry of William Blake. And I do. I love and admire the poetry of William Blake. Blake saw what many others could not see, that all things are in a constant state of change. Everything is connected and interrelated. Climb Wollstonebury Hill near Hassocks in West Sussex and suddenly everything around you falls away. The hill looks no more than a tump from a couple of miles away, but get up there and stretching as far as the eye can see is a great ridge, a chalk ridge, the South Downs. It's a great snake, a serpent, Ouroboros, a ground-pulsating sandworm out of the universe of Dune. The South Downs sweeps into the grey veils of distance. Its vast serpentine form is almost supernatural, a frozen wave of land. So I wondered, 
What is that ridge? Well, I know it's chalk, and I know chalk is made up of the remains of tiny single-celled organisms that lived and died in warm oceans some 100 to 60 million years ago, to be precise. If talking in millions of years ago can be precise, I know it was 100 million to 60 million years ago because that was the Cretaceous period. And what does Cretaceous mean? Chalk. Chalk landscapes were once under the sea, and in geological terms, the chalk or Cretaceous period is pretty recent. Chalk landscapes are children. The South Downs is a baby rolling around in the shadow of the old rocks of the North and West. Geologists talk in eons and eras and periods and epochs, and it can get very confusing, especially as the timescales are ridiculous. Compared to even the smallest of any of these scales, the whole of human history is a grain of salt on a peanut the size of the sun. It's a full stop in Borges's infinite library of Babel. It's an electron in a silicon atom, in a grain of sand, in the vast and incomprehensible and entirely fictional sands of Tatooine. It's a leaf on a tree the size of the universe. It's a frog on a lily pad, on a pond the size of a fucking huge pond. While you've been eating and sleeping and frittering your life away on frappuccinos and almond croissants, queuing for lottery tickets or knitting a life-size replica of a giraffe, geologists have been working hard defining eons and eras and periods and epochs and giving them all names. And there are lots of these names which attempt to make sense of something that's almost beyond understanding. And geology is a relatively young science, so geologists have had to work very fast. The eons are the biggest subdivision. All of Earth's history is divided into just three. Then come the eras, and after that, the periods, which I'll focus on in a minute. The epochs are even smaller, and there are loads more of them. All of these words, names, terms, they skit over my mind like flat pebbles across a pond. That fucking huge pond. Look, there they go. Plop. Gone. Look them up if you feel the need. Imagine a geologist tapping away at rocks on a cliff face, pulling out a sample and saying, Oh, look, that's from the Phanerozoic era, the Paleozoic eon, and the Devonian period. Wow. And then an avalanche of words buries the rest of us below. But there is a poetry to all this, and by that, I mean there is a wonder to it. Once you can get out of the way of all these words. For now, I will stick to the periods and avoid eons and eras and the even smaller epochs. The South Downs was formed in the Cretaceous period. Here are some other geological periods in chronological order, oldest to youngest, the Cambrian, Ordovician, Silurian, Devonian, Carboniferous, Permian, Triassic, Jurassic, Cretaceous. I'll throw in the earlier Precambrian, which alone covers approximately 90% of Earth's history. Dinosaurs were wiped out at the end of the Cretaceous period, but the Stegosaurus became extinct long before this, sometime in the last Jurassic. This means that the Stegosaurus is as distant in time to the T-Rex as the T-Rex is to us. Reel back the timeline of the period some half a billion years from Cretaceous and we get to the Cambrian period, known for the explosion of life that took place then and is named after the Latin for Wales. 
The Ordovician and Silurian periods were named after early Welsh tribes. Wales, what a nation, giving names to three great geological periods. Devon gets a look in with the Devonian period, but no other periods were named after anywhere else in the UK. Jurassic comes from the Jura Mountains, along the border with France and Switzerland, and Permian, named after Perm in Russia. But why is Wales the origin for three geological periods? Why Wales? There's a lovely little poem by Christopher Logue that could be filed under poems whose titles are longer than the poem itself. It's called To a Friend in Search of Rural Seclusion. I shall read it in its entirety. Here goes. If all else fails, try Wales. That's it. But why does Wales dominate the geological terminology of periods? Because Wales has a huge diversity of geology. Because Wales has some old rocks. Compared to Wales, many other parts of the world are geological deserts. Wales is a geological orchestra. The USA is a geological drone. Australia is a geological didgeridoo. Or at least, their geologies are spread over vast areas. I'm being facetious, but I like the word facetious because the word facetious has all five vowels in the right order. The real reason Wales has given names to three geological periods is that the scientific study now known as geology began in the UK and many geologists in the UK went to Wales to dig up rocks. You can't go digging up rocks in London or Birmingham, not without pissing people off. The Silurian and Ordovician periods were named after tribes of Wales, the Silers and the Ordovices. And like those tribes, the geologists who came up with those terms, Silurian and Ordovician, were tribes of geologists demanding that their discoveries, their terminology, be accepted. They were geologists battling for supremacy, each wanting to squeeze in their discoveries into the great geological edifice. The Cretaceous or Chalk period was one of the warmest in the history of the Earth. The ice caps melted, sea levels rose, so these weird isles and everywhere else did not look as they do today. The Earth's land masses are not static, they are ever shifting. Once upon a time, what is now the UK was broken into. Go back again, half a billion years if you still have the energy. Back again with me to the Cambrian period. And the north of Scotland was somewhere near the equator and the rest of us were somewhere near the South Pole. We know this because fossils of fauna from these parts of the British Isles are markedly different and match those land masses we were once part of before 550 million years ago. And remember, 550 million years ago is only a tenth of the Earth's history. The supercontinent Rohodinia contained most of the Earth's landmass, all of it below the equator. Above the equator was the vast panthalassic ocean. Land masses are forever in flux, and around 400 million years ago, England and the north of Scotland crashed into each other. The southern highlands are the result of that impact. Mountain ranges across the world are the product of such collisions. And during all these shifts of land mass as tectonic plates slip over the earth like a cracked eggshell on a boiled egg, so the formation of the landscape we know began to emerge and life evolved. Dinosaurs of the Triassic period reigned on the supercontinent of Pangaea. 
Look at a map of where T-Rex fossils have been found. North America, across China, Mongolia, Russia. Did they swim? No. They lived on a supercontinent that has since drifted apart, and land masses are still drifting. Dinosaurs did not live on a world that resembled this one. Except that it was roundish. These weird isles, the British Isles, have some of the most diverse geology in the world. These islands have travelled through various climate zones, been subjected to huge tectonic forces. Mountains have risen up, then there have been ice ages, and when warming came between these ages, floods, rises in sea levels. And then there's erosion and weathering, rivers. Look at the exposed strata of a cliff in, for example, South Wales and recognise periods of deserts, periods of ice ages, rising sea levels and flooding. Desert strata is often red, where coal was once mined in many parts of the UK. These were tropical forests, the Carboniferous period. And chalk, remember, was laid down when single-celled sea creatures died. These weird isles have been a desert, rainforest, under ice, under the depths of the ocean. The oldest rocks in in the UK are found in the Outer Hebrides, named Lewisian Nice, spelled G-N-E-I-S-S. These rocks are 3 billion years old, 3,000 million years old. The landscape of the South Downs is a toddler in comparison, just 145 million years old. It's a chalk ridge composed of dead, single-celled creatures. That's a lot of dead cells, a bit like dust but on a slower scale. Dust swirls and is gone. But imagine again that we live for a billion years, our hearts beating once every six months. The chalk ridge is just dust here for a moment, then gone. William Blake was inspired by the chalk landscape of the South Downs to write his illuminated poem, Jerusalem, the emanation of the great Albion. Not to be confused with his poem, many of us know now as the hymn, Jerusalem. The emanation of the great Albion is a story in which characters are flux. Jerusalem is a woman, a city, a way of life. The poem reminds me of Joyce's Finnegan's Wake, in which characters mutate into other characters, sometimes into places. This is a dreamlike universe where nothing is static. William Blake stared out of a window in the Earl of March, a pub in Levant, at the undulating South Downs and sees or senses or imagines all things in flux. He imagines a future where all humanity, all living things, live in peace. When will that be, he wonders, sipping his ale and nibbling pork scratchings. When will we return to the future Eden? And when the climate cooled around 40 million years ago, floods created new seas, new channels, new islands. UK volcanoes are extinct, but they are still visible, for example, in Edinburgh and Snowdonia. These weird isles have the remnants of volcanoes and deserts and rainforest, and in the South Downs, of ocean floors as you travel from the southeast of the UK to the north and west so you go back in time. The southeast is a geological chalk baby, the northwest a wise old nice bird. And things are still changing in 250 million years. All land masses will again form a supercontinent and geologists without any false modesty, have already given it a name. Pangea Proxima. And if humans are still around, we'll be living together on this one great landmass. Maybe we'll have learned to get along. There will be free love, peace, the vision of a world William Blake conjured from staring at the undulating landscape of the South Downs. 
his Albion. Mm-hmm.